Hi, my name is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohev Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. So this week, in looking at Parsha B'Shalach, I wanted to consider the man, the food that comes down from the heavens every morning in order to feed the people. And we wanted to look at it specifically through the title of the word itself, man. Now, Parsha B'Shalach is, of course, this wondrous Parsha that has the crossing of the Red Sea and the song of the sea and represents, I think, more than any other moment in the Exodus and in the relationship between God and the Jewish people, this demonstration that God is the singular protector and redeemer of the Jewish people and the Jewish people's um, consequential subsequent recognition of that and praise of God. And it's this like really spectacular moment. And so it's really quite um, disappointing, let's say, to look at the second half of the Parsha and realize that after all of that happens, the Israelites just devolve into complaining. There's complaints about water and there are complaints about food, which we'll look at in the morning in a moment, and then complaints about water again. And we transition so seamlessly um, from such this like beautiful moment of connection into to one of just of total lack of communication and of kvetching, for lack of a better word. So there's complaints about water, and then there are complaints about food. And now the man is interesting because this whole little saga occupies the entire chapter 16 of Shemot, of Exodus. And um, it's way too much material for us to consider in totality, so we'll just look at certain parts of it. And like I said, focus on what the word man means itself. So we open the story with in verse 2 in chapter 16, that the Israelites, they start to grumble or they start to complain against Moshe and Aaron in the desert. And they say, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and when we ate our fill of bread. In other words, if only God had just killed us when we were back in Egypt, when we had food. But now you've brought us out into this wilderness to starve us to death. So that is their complaint. Instead of saying, hey, can we please have some food? It's this very dramatic, um, you know, just uh, over the top uh, complaint, um, really just allegation, accusation of you've brought us here to die. Now, us, knowing the rest of the Torah, would probably expect that the response might be, you know, from God, these people are terrible. I don't know what I was thinking. We should just kill all of them. Um, but instead, God responds and says, okay, so um, we'll, you know, we'll give them bread um, and it'll be like a test. And the, the tensions, um, it's hard to, to capture just in one particular verse, but if you just read through chapter 16, you'll note that it seems like this is actually in many ways a pretty tense encounter. And like Moshe seems to be really annoyed with the people and God at times isn't really speaking so kindly about them. And we're sort of in the end of our seats, I think, wringing our hands, think, just waiting for it all to explode. But miraculously, it doesn't. God says, we'll give them bread as a test. Um, and there's the stories um, about the people are um, learning that, you know, you can't keep extra and that you can't get any on Shabbos and that you can't take more than anybody else. You can't leave over, etc. So they learn lessons along the way, but it does ultimately end in a positive note by um, establishing the man as something 
that sustained us in the desert. And so I wanted to consider like what really happens, why is that the case? And I wanted to do that through the lens of thinking about the word man itself. So um, we're told that there will be that this will be a test that God is giving them bread. And, um, and then there's also going to be flesh at night, there's going to be the slav, the quail at night, and then in the morning, there is the man. And so we're told um, just a few verses later in Exodus that yes, there was quail in the night. And then in the morning, there was a fall of dew about the camp, right? So there was dew on the ground. And but when it lifted, there over the surface of the wilderness was, I'm just reading the translations because the Hebrew is difficult to translate, lay a fine and flaky substance as fine as frost on the ground. Right? So there's this kind of substance that's mysterious that they're not used to seeing, and it's on the ground. And then, And so the Israelites saw it, and they said to one another, Manhu, because they didn't know Mahu, what it was. Now, it's difficult to translate Manhu, that just means it is Man, because we don't really know what tone they said it in. It seems to be a question, but perhaps it could also be a statement. And Moshe responds, This is the bread that God has given you to eat. So, this is our main information for how we establish what man means. And so now we'll look at some of the mafarshim um, trying to explain what this word means because it doesn't, it doesn't appear elsewhere. It's not the word lechem. It's not bread. It's something else. So Rashi, we should just note that Rashi says that man comes from the word mazon, which is a general word for food. And so when they looked at it, they said, ah, this is food. And so um, that is why it's called man. It's called man because it is food, um, but it doesn't, it's not associated with a specific kind of food. It's just the generic word for essentially sustenance. That's Rashi. Um, most, many of the, if not most, if not all, um, of the commentators actually really disagree with him. Um, for example, the Bechor Shor says, well, quotes Rashi and then rejects it and says something that many of the other Mafarshim agree with, which is that, that Man, what they said is Manhu is Egyptian for Mahu. In other words, they said, what is this? Mahu in Hebrew, but they're Egyptian. They come from Egypt. So they said it in Egyptian and the word in Egyptian for ma is man. So what they effectively, what man means is what is this? And that title stuck. Um, and that is why it is called the man because it's named after the question of what is this? Um, which is an interesting explanation, and I think probably you know a very sensible explanation. Um, but I wouldn't, I didn't want to just end it with there because I actually wanted to bring in um, some more, uh, more spiritual, um, more grander mafarshim um, that take it in a different direction. And I think that when we consider a couple of them together, we can actually arrive at a really beautiful comment um, on what this man represented um, to the Israelites and their journey in the desert and ultimately their relationship with God. 
So first we'll start, we'll start with the Ketav and the Kabbalah. So the Ketav and the Kabbalah says, man does not mean food. It doesn't mean what. It comes from the word limnot, which means like to appoint a ruler. It's, it, it's a word that is um, associated with authority, um, something bigger than yourself, something that you respect more than yourself. And now he says, what does that mean? He says that when they woke up and they looked and they saw this dew on the ground, it was so beautiful and so mysterious that it actually looked like crystal. And they didn't realize that it was food. And so it is called man because they looked at it and they said, what is this like beautiful substance that's everywhere? Um, and the title of man connotes that they thought it was this um elevated beautiful substance um it, like this sort of i don't know like waking up and there are diamonds everywhere or something like that and so they called it man to reflect that sense of grandeur and wonder um that it had over them and so i thought that was interesting because he doesn't associate it with food but he associates it with something larger um than just you know physical sustenance next we'll go to the orachaim the orachaim Actually, he, he says something fascinating. So he says that when they all, when the Israelites turn to each other and they say, Mahu, um, the reason it comes out of their mouths as Manhu is not because they were speaking Egyptian, but because they were trying to say Mahu to ask the question of what is this, but God manipulated their mouths so that it came out as Manhu which was a new title to give this food, this substance that it was on the ground. Now, why give a new title? Because Orachaim says, um, actually citing a Gemara from Brachot um, page 7, which some of you may have learned a few weeks ago, that names are very important. And one of the ways that God shows um, honor um, to, to certain things is by providing them names. And so this man was very special. And so God manipulated their mouths to give it the title that title of man to connote how special this substance was. Um, and so then at the end of the chapter in verse 31, when it repeats that the Israelites called it the man, it, it was their way of sort of saying, you know, yes, like this is something that is really special to us. Um, and this is the, the, you know, that, that substance that sustained us throughout the desert and enabled us to, you know, not to starve to death and to lead a, live a good life in the desert, at least physically speaking, um, was a very special substance and not named after not knowing what it is, but really named after a proper recognition of the role that it played in their lives. Now, having the Tav and the Kabbalah and the Orachim in our minds, um, I wanted to, for the final source, to, to consider Rabbeinu Bechaye. Now, I alluded to this a moment ago, that one of the things that makes the title of Man so interesting, and frankly, this entire chapter of Exodus 16 so interesting, is that as we've reviewed, the first time it's called Man in this chapter is when they say Manhu Kiloyadu Mahu, right? What is this? Because they didn't know what it was. That's when it gets the first title of Man. But actually, if you if you go to the end of the chapter, in verse 31, it says once again that the Israelites called it man. Um, the verse 31 is, Vikru Beit Yisrael et Shmo man. That the Israelites called it man. And that verse comes after all of the back and forth with figuring out, okay, so we can't keep extra over until tomorrow because it'll rot. And we can't, you know, take more than our share because it'll rot. And we have to listen and collect to on Friday because there won't be any on Saturday. And all of these back and forths where you're worried that, you know, this tension is going to explode and God's going to get so angry, but it doesn't. They each resolve. They learn their lessons. At the 
conclusion of that saga of chapter 16, we're told once again that they call it man. Now, most of the Mepharshim um, just see this as a, a, um, a re- just um, repeating what was told earlier in the Parsha, that yeah, the Israelites called it man, and that it, it's not, this, this affirmation in verse 31 is not different than the initial introduction of the title earlier in the chapter. But I actually think, um, sort of building off of what the Orachaim um, intimated to, which is that they did um, sort of claim the name for their own when they when they call it man at the end of the chapter in verse 31. I wanted to look at Rabbeinu Bachai because he says actually that man comes from the language, from the word matana, of a present or gift. Um, and that the Israelites, when they wake up and they see the substance on the ground, they don't know what it is. And their reaction isn't to say, what is this? In wonder, their reaction is to say, "Ah, oh, matana min hashamayim." This is a gift from heaven, um, and that that was their reaction. And they, before they even knew what it was, he says they didn't give it a, a unique name because they didn't even know what it was yet. They didn't know what it was made out of. They didn't know how to call it, but they instinctively were able to recognize that it was a gift from shamayim. Now. That's a beautiful way of reading into the initial wonder. However, I would like to suggest is that maybe we can consider Rabbeinu B'chai not as much um, at the initial, but also at the conclusion in verse 31. And to synthesize a couple of these approaches to suggest that what is the nisayon, the test of the man? It's that when you first see it, you say, mahu, what is this? But that through the trial and error of trying to collect more and, and, and the, all the, the stuff that would rot, the, all of the, the saga of chapter 16 culminates in a conclusion in which the Israelites affirm for themselves, yeah, we're going to call this man. Yeah, and, and according to Rabbeinu Bechai's interpretation, yeah, this is a matana. And that really they pass the nisayon, the test of the man, by going from a place of not knowing what this thing was, but into being able to learn and to appreciate that it really was a gift to them from heaven, um, which I think help ex- helps explain why God has the patience and doesn't get angry, though this chapter, their behavior can be trying at times, but also spins a more positive light on the Israelites um, who, who quickly go from being able to praise God into becoming very frustrated and easily agitated. And so this, this helps redeem them, even if it's just for a brief moment, um, in recognizing that they weren't completely ungrateful. They, they were struggling a lot. Um, and, and those struggles at time, um, they you know reached inexcusable places when God had to punish them, but that they did still have in their core an ability uh, to recognize the beauty in what God had given them and, and have the gratitude to God that they should have had all along. Shabbat Shalom.